Doug, Doug Church. Uh, great to be this, together this morning. Can you grab your Bible or your uh, phones um, and turn to Mark chapter 12? Uh, if you're new here, some context, we've been uh, in the book of Mark since the beginning of last year and uh, just taken a few breaks here and there to do other series. We've just come out of a series uh, on the four words we sort of are committing to this uh, year or for the next season, gather, grow, give, go. And uh, just as a, a sort of disclaimer, uh, when we talk about the word give, uh, one of the things we're talking about is financial stewardship. And so today, again, just as it so happens in the next section of Mark, we're talking about uh, financial giving. And so, uh, I mean, I can count on, the, on one hand the amount of times we've spoken about financial giving as a church. We don't do it much. Uh, we're not that kind of church, but uh, it just so happens that, uh, that by God's grace, we've spoken about it twice now in just the last few weeks. So he's trying to push us in a direction and grow us in these ways. Um, I would just say this, that um, most uh, or at least many uh, sermons about uh, giving uh, can be summarized in two words, give more, right? Uh, and I just want to calm our hearts. This is not a fundraising effort. You will notice the lack of a thermometer anywhere on the wall here. We're not trying to get more cash and uh, inspire us towards uh, an injection of, of moolah. This is um, a, a discipleship issue. And so we're talking about it today. I mean, look, part of going through the books of the Bible and preaching the way we preach, yeah, we're preaching about it because it's the next thing. But Jesus talks about it. Because it is such a central element to life. Money is everywhere, every day. And so it's such a part of how we live. And uh, this is why I believe uh, Jesus wants to encourage us towards financial giving uh, in faithful ways. And I'm going to unpack that. This is why. Because money has a way of gripping our hearts. And it shapes us in ways that drive us away from Christ-likeness. And the call of Christ is actually to control our money in a way that we would worship God first with it and use it in a way that would keep God first in our lives by flashing those things out. So I want to encourage us with this. I know that in our uh, context as a country, we have enormous um, economic divides. Our country is um, said to be one of the most unequal societies in the world. And I know that even in the room this morning, uh, we've got students who aren't earning yet, and we've got families, and we've got people all over the place. So I say that just to say this. I know that everyone's going to receive this differently, and that's, there's grace for us, right? This is a process, but I think that the essential uh, crux of what I'm getting at this morning and what I think Jesus is encouraging, encouraging us towards is this, that uh, we would be people who view money uh, more as a, a tool we can use for his glory than our own uh, benefit, and that it, it would have less controlling force over our lives. So um, let's um, read together Mark chapter 12, from verse uh, 41 until verse 44. That's where we are this morning. And uh, I'll just give us some context before we get there. Jesus has been in the temple, and he's been engaging with people. He uh, has flipped over the tables and, and uh, shouted at, at the guys who turn it into a marketplace. He's engaged with the scribes and the Pharisees who he calls hypocrites. He is um, obviously quite livid that this whole system is not, is, it's not reflecting his heart uh, and that these people are not engaging him in the way uh, that he thinks should happen. And it's right in the midst of all this that we see quite a contrasting 
uh, little narrative, and this is what it says, verse 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So as we, as we come to this, I know that, uh, as I've said, we talk about money, we're sort of on the back foot because uh, I think just in our sin, we uh, see it as an offense to the things we love most. Um, but I want to just encourage us. This is not about getting the money out of your hands. This is more about getting the idols out of our hands. And um, I think we need to do this because um, as Jesus wants to encourage us, as I've said already, um, this is an issue of discipleship and worship. And so if you're looking, if you're taking notes, you can write something. I'm calling this something around the practice of giving because I really believe uh, the practice of financial giving, as we give uh, regularly, it's a spiritual discipline that helps us uh, deal with our idols. It's a spiritual discipline that helps us put God first. It's, how, it, it's a spiritual discipline that helps us trust God. It's a spiritual discipline that helps us wage war against the power of money and wealth. We're going to talk about each uh, one of those things. And so this morning I'm going to share uh, four ways that money shapes us. And so four ways we can respond uh, and put God first in our lives when it comes to financial giving. Each four of these things could be their own sermons, right? So we're going we're gonna to move at quite a pace, but uh, I hope that this just encourages us to, to think and pray and reflect uh, throughout the week about these things. The first is this, that financial giving is an expression of secret worship. Um, you, you, pro- you may not know this, but I'll just tell you anyway. If this is your uh, local church, um, are, we're assuming giving is part of your rhythms. If you're a visitor here, I just want to make it clear again, you are under no compulsion to give. If you're new here, we don't expect that in any way. Uh, this is more a thing for members and for those who are, are at home with us. Uh, this is their spiritual home. Um, I would say this, that uh, Doug and I and Paul and the finance team don't know who gives what. Right? So we, I know everyone puts uh, a giving reference or, or a reference on the gifts that they give. We don't look at that, right? So we just see the sum total number and uh, for budgeting purposes and just to make sure that we are running things well. But when you give, the point I'm making here is that it's between you and the Lord. He sees what you give, and uh, it's a moment of secret worship between you and him. You get to just say, God, this is what I have. You, you are worth it. You are worthy. I love you. You get, you get my first fruits. And I think that this goes against uh, some of the culture we live in, right? Because we love a culture that uh, loves recognition in every way, but especially when it comes to finances. Um, I'm sure you would have seen on social media at some point a sort of video of a random act of kindness. You know, when someone just gives someone money, or uh, whether it's like a Mr. Beast video and the oak is like going crazy, or it's just a random act of uh, kindness where people do a good deed and, and love people by giving them a gift. Uh, and I'm I'm always like skeptical in my heart. This is just my inner uh, 
uh, sort of cynic coming out. Why, why is there a camera recording this? There's a moment going on there where we love recognition for the good things that we do. And I think it's sometimes, uh, sometimes the same with our money. We, we live in a society that loves uh, the recognition of giving uh, gifts. And so we see this in the text somewhat. If we zoom out a little bit from what we just read in Mark chapter 12 and see it in its context, we look at the story just before uh, the story of the widow, what Wisey preached at last week. Um, he looks at uh, the scribes, and Jesus is taking issue with the scribes. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 40. And Jesus' essential criticism of them is that these were meant to be the guys who were showing others how to love God. And yet, all of the things they did that, that would have looked to us like acts of worship, Jesus says they are hollow and empty, and they're just for show. So he says, look at your big prayers. You pray big prayers, big impressive prayers, but really, you're just doing it so that other people think you're an impressive uh, spiritual person. You're not really engaging God in your heart. You're doing it more that other eyes and ears can look at you and see you and think highly of you. That's, that's Jesus' issue with the scribes. And then the next uh, text that Doug will be talking about next week, and I think Mark includes this as a little clue for us, the disciples are leaving, leaving the temple area, and, and, they, and they look at the temple and they say to Jesus, wow, what big stones, what impressive buildings. That's, quote, unquote, what the disciples say to Jesus. What impressive buildings. And so what's going on here is a contrast between two things. On the one hand, uh, we have Jesus rebuking the spiritual leaders for setting up a, 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 a spiritual practices and spiritual systems where it's all about how impressive things can look. The buildings, the spiritual leaders, it's all about, it's all about being for show. And Jesus says that even though it looks like this is a, an amazing building, a place of worship, even though the scribes look like they are doing amazing acts of worship, it's really empty and hypocritical and it's not of these. Yet in the middle of these two things, we sandwiched in the middle, we have the story of the widow. And so what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting two ways of worshiping. You can do things for show and it'll look to everyone else like you're worshiping, but really your heart's not engaged with God. Or like the widow, the complete opposite. She comes as a woman that the uh, culture would have rejected. They wouldn't have noticed her. They wouldn't have recognized her. They wouldn't have thought highly of her. The gift she gave was so tiny, it wouldn't have made a dent in, in the treasury's uh, thermometer fundraising efforts. She was not impressive in any way. And yet Jesus singles her out and celebrates her to his disciples and says, this lady, She's the one getting it right. This woman has worshipped me properly. And you see, friends, so there's two ways we can worship God. And this comes out especially um, just in our hearts, in our hearts longing to look good. A guy by the name of Brennan Manning, he says this, that the temptation of our age is to look good without doing good. And I think uh, if, we, if we look at, into our own hearts, and we're honest, like we want people to think well of us. That's not a, a sinful thing, but sometimes we work a little bit too hard at that, don't we? We're, a bit, we're very careful of what we post on social media and what we say to people and how we present ourselves. And, and 
You know, we, there's something in us that just loves being thought highly of. And, uh, of course, that's not automatically sinful, but there's sometimes idolatry in that. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to notice. And to actually, he's giving us a, a simple physical practice to actually uproot or, or help us move away from that and to deal with that idol in our lives. And, and what he's giving us in this example is um, the practice of uh, secret worship in our financial giving as a way of helping us move away from um, being seen from others and just worshiping one-on-one. So what he's saying is, look, you can give your gift. No one else is going to see it. It's not going to be, it's not going to get you praise from other people. It's not going to get you worship. It's going to be a secret thing you do between me and you. And by doing it regularly and often, you're going to get the uh, priorities of what's true and right in your life. What matters most is what I think of you. What matters most is your worship of me and how you can gather worship for yourself. It's just a simple rhythm of how we can put first things first thing. Jesus expands on this in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. I think it should be up there. This is what he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before uh, you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. That's the praise of men. But when you give to the poor, don't let, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Why does Jesus make such a big deal of the secret worship of financial giving? I think it's this, that it's, that it's t- he's telling us that financial giving is not primarily about what it accomplishes horizontally. It's not about the, the praise it gets us. It's not even about how it helps and serves the recipient. Of course, it does that, but that's not the point. What Jesus is saying, the primary uh, reason for financial giving is what it's accomplishing in us vertically between us and God. Not about what it accomplishes horizontally. You know, we, we all love giving to causes and things like that, but Jesus is telling us the, the central issue of giving is, a, is an issue of worship between us and our king. And so when this widow comes and says, God, this is what I have, what she's saying is, God, I, I worship you. No one else is going to see this. No one else is going to think anything of this. It's such a, a small amount of money. It's not going to contribute in significant ways. No one even sees me as a human. But, God, I know you see me. I know you see this. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the best of me. You are worthy. You are worth it all. What an in- incredible example of worship of the living God. And so I just want to encourage us. As we, as we talk about a um, secret act of financial giving, that's, as I said, something that God grows in us and helps us. It's a rhythm that God gives us to put him first again and again. The second thing is this. The second way that giving uh, can shape us uh, into, into Jesus is that financial giving is a commitment to sacrificial generosity. Again, we'll see this in the life of the widow. She gave everything she had. And uh, the text says that she gave two tiny coins. Now, just to put this in perspective for us, 
those two tiny coins, uh, the, some of the original language uses the word mice, um, and what it amounted to was one sixty-fourth of one uh, day's wage. So it was the smallest amount of currency that existed at the time. It's like, I don't know if five cents even exists anymore for us, but that, that's, sort of, um, that's sort of what she could give, was like five cents. It was so tiny. And yet Jesus celebrates it because it's all that she gave. You see, Jesus doesn't celebrate the amount of money given. He celebrates the amount of sacrifice and generosity in the amount that was given. Of course, how does this apply to us, right? If, uh, if, if you're earning service, if giving is something you're considering or already doing, and uh, God is speaking to us this morning in these ways, of course, it's not a one-to-one uh, um, scenario, right? He's not saying, okay, the widow gave everything she had, so you need to sell everything you have and give every cent that you have. Of course, it's not prescriptive in that way. It's, it's descriptive. What's it descriptive of? It's a descriptive of a heart that is inclined towards sacrificial generosity and worship of the living God. And I think that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do. You see, you see this in two ways. Jesus celebrates the widow for giving everything she has. And at the same time, he challenges the rich for only giving out of their surplus. So there's two things going on here. And what Jesus is encouraging us towards is not just that we would give. He's assuming that we will give. What he's saying is how much should we give? Now, just in answering that question, I want to I do two things. I want to, one, give some practical tips. Uh, sort of tips, I don't know what you call it, but principles around how we can answer that question for ourselves and consider it. And then lean into a bit more of why is sacrificial generosity so important? Right? So let's start with some of the practical. Um, Doug spoke uh, a few weeks ago when he spoke about these stewards on the giving group that there are two, two kind of ways, uh, two kind of ways that we can give badly. One is sinful giving, the other is unwise giving. So let's take, for example, Elon Musk, right? The richest guy in the world. Let's say he becomes a Christian and he decides to give 10% of his uh, net worth or, or whatever it is to the church. For him, that would probably, probably be sinful giving because he could, live, he could give 90 and live on 10% and still be unbelievably rich. It wouldn't be sacrificial or generous for him. On the other side of things, there are those who are so financially uh, tight that to force them to give 10% would be way, way beyond uh, what they can do, and it would put them into debt and financial stress. And so that would be unwise giving. You see, this is why we don't, as a church, uh, demand a certain number. We don't say you need to give 10. The principle we take, the stance we take is this. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, this is what it says. Each person should do or should give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Right, so we're not going to demand a certain amount. You need to decide this for yourself because you know your, your financial situation. 
And this is uh, an act of worship. But uh, as we do that, we encourage four words as, as it relates to giving. That giving must be sacrificial, giving must be generous, giving must be regular, and giving must be joyful. Those are four words we really uh, want to encourage each other with. And if you want to study and look at those a bit more, we get that from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, chapter 8 and 9. But if we're going to be uh, on this point, the sacrificial and generous point, I think we have to uh, be honest that the difficulty with this is our own hearts. It's really hard to commit to sacrificial giving and generous giving because it confronts our comfort. It confronts our preferences. It confronts the things we hold dear, and I think it exposes just how much we love money and what money can give us. It really threatens those things. And so it's a, it's a, it's a struggle for us. And um, we have a friend who's a, a, an elder at, at the church up the road, and uh, he was telling a story that I've never forgotten. He was doing a, a, mem- a new members class. And one of the people asked him, uh, how much should I give? And he gave a one-word answer that I've remembered forever. How much should I give? He said this, more. I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Because here's, here's the reason why I think it's so brilliant. Because it, it describes the, the inclination of the Christian heart. That we have a preference to want to be sacrificial and generous. Because God is sacrificial and generous. And that, you know, it, there may be a while where we, we just physically can't increase things. Our heart's desire is to do more, is to give more, because that's who God is. And our heart is becoming like his heart. And so he's growing us in these ways. And so I would just encourage you, church, like, if you can't give, I'm not saying give triple, I'm just saying consider how this might relate to your budget. It might be an extra 0.1%. If you can't give 10%, my next question would be, what can you give? What can you start with? Just 2%? As I'm saying again and again, this is not a fundraising issue. We don't want your money. What we really want is to help us follow Jesus with our money and to grow as worshiping disciples of the Lord. And so here's some, maybe a question we can ask. Is the amount of money that we give every month stretching us and helping us grow in sacrificial generosity? Or have we settled for an amount that uh, protects our comfort and, and maybe doesn't help us grow towards sacrificial generosity? But the principle here is like, how do you grow in generosity? We be generous. How do we grow in sacrifice? We do things that uh, help us sacrifice, right? We, we grow in sacrificial giving by, by giving sacrificially. But as I say again, I think the, the struggle with these things is the struggle of our hearts. And I'll just share two. As I've prayed about this, as I've looked into my own life, I, I feel and I think you might reg- uh, resonate with it somewhat. We, we struggle with two things struggle with fear. Uh, we have financial fear. We really stress about the income. We have sleepless nights some, sometimes. Like, how are we going to make it through? How are we going to survive? Some months we're just like, like Gollum, you know, like my precious. Like, we're holding so tightly onto this thing. And God has to like pry our fingers open. That we're, we're afraid because we don't trust God. I'm going to get into that a bit later. I think another reason and it was fright- it's frightening to, to admit, but I think we struggle with greed. We struggle with greed. Our heart has an inclination to want more than we need. That's the definition of greed. It's an unhealthy desire to own more than we need. 
why is this a problem? Okay, so here's where we're going to talk about why is sacrificial generosity so important. And I would say this, because it's who God is. And it's who he's shaping us to be as people. God has set up the world to work with giving and generosity. I'll read this quote by a guy called H.B. Charles Jr. He, he, he illustrates it like this. The sun gives light and heat. The moon gives radiance. The stars give splendor. The clouds give rain. The rain gives cleansing and refreshing. The air gives breath. The mountains give security. The flowers give fragrance. The grass gives beauty. The trees give fruit. The animals give meat. The earth gives minerals. The crown gives crops. The crops give food. The water gives quenching. You see, like God has set up the world to give. Yet as humans, what do we do? We take. We take, right? I've got two young kids. As all the parents will tell you, you don't have to teach your kids to take. You have to teach your kids to share, to give. Taking comes naturally to the human heart. This is the sin and the fallenness in us. And so every time we give, we're waging war against the greed of our hearts and the fear of our hearts. And we're saying, God, I want to be more like you. This is who you are. Friends, just consider the gospel again. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. He gave everything. He didn't need to leave heaven and come down. He was fully sufficient on his own. He didn't need to do that. But why did he? Here's a clue. Because generosity and sacrifice are in the very heart of God. He couldn't help but do it because it's who he is. So he left the throne. He came down. He laid down his life to ransom us, redeem us, forgive us. This incredible sacrifice of love, this generous display of his love for us, it's just beyond anything we can imagine. And every time we give, we're saying, yes, God, you have been this to me. You are helping me become more like you. I'm going to give. You are worthy. I will give. A third way that giving shapes us and how we can take uh, charge of these things this way is, is that financial giving is a rhythm that cultivates trust in God's provision. It's a rhythm of cultivating trust in God's provision. Again, let's just consider the widow. It says she gave a lot. <laughs> it says she gave all she had. It's like she's saying, look, Lord, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I literally don't know where I'm in the street, maybe. I don't, I don't have anything. I've got nothing left. I've got no savings accounts. I've got no little, uh, uh, what's that fund? A little, um, what fund when life goes bad? Emergency fund or whatever it is. She had none of that. She gave everything she had. So she's saying, God, I trust you. Like, you know where the next thing is coming from, where my next meal where where my provision comes from. It comes from you, and you've got it, and you're a good God, and you've promised to provide for my every need. And so that's what Jesus encourages us with. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just uh, in your notes, write down uh, verses 25 to 34, and I'm just going to read from verse uh, 25 until uh, 20. 27. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worry? And then he gives the same example by talking about the leaves of the field and how God clothes them. And uh, it, it says there, verse uh, 33 or verse 32, don't, don't worry about those things. Don't, don't concern yourself with what you will eat, drink, wear. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So friends, consider the sparrows. I think this is an encouragement from Jesus because he knows the details of our hearts. We are prone towards financial anxiety. You're prone towards stressing. Where, where is this stuff going to come from? I, I think I don't, no matter how much money you have, I, I think we're never going to feel like we have enough. Unless maybe we're on Elon Musk territory, which probably most of us aren't ever going to be. You know, we, we just carry this stress with us. And Jesus knows that, so he wants to encourage us. You don't have to carry that burden with you. You don't have to be in financial bondage like you're a slave to it. You've come, come under a new master, and this master takes care of you. He provides for you. I've been so encouraged over the last two years. You know, COVID hit, and it's really caused such hardship for so many people in our church. And I've just been so encouraged to hear the stories of God coming through and being faithful. Like businesses on the brink of being liquidated, God is coming through and saving the day once again like he does. There's been a lot of suffering. There's been a lot of loss. But I think we'd be hard-pressed to say God hasn't at least been faithful. He's been so faithful. He's, he's come through because it's, it's what he's promised. It's what he's promised. He didn't say he'll give us everything we want, but he's promised to give us what we need. And I think every time we give, every time we practice this spiritual discipline of financial giving, what we're doing is saying, God, everything I have to give right now is because you've given it to me. And everything I could maybe have one day, it's because you're going to give it to me. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. It's not mine. And so by giving this uh, first fruit, not my leftovers at the end of the month to see what I have left, I'm giving the, one of the first, I want to encourage you, friends, one of the first things you do with your money when you, when you get paid your salary is to give. Because this is the thing, you're building in the rhythm that says, God, this comes from you, and whatever may come my way will also come from you. You will provide. It's a way of building in the muscle memory in our spirits of who the money comes from. And that we can trust him. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And so we're building in the rhythm of trusting God with our money. Uh, the final thing I'd say is this. Is that financial giving is an act of spiritual warfare. It's an act of spiritual warfare. Now, I, I would love to admit that I am just like the widow. But you know what? I have to be honest <laughs> and say God is still shaping me. He's shaping each one of us. Some days we get it right, and then our hearts are prone to wonder again, right? And he has to call us back home. And so what, I think one of the things we have to take 
struck of in our lives just to realize we have a tendency towards loving money and what money can give us more than we should. And God sometimes comes second, functionally. So we have to wage war against this thing. This, Jesus speaks into that. Right? Again, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 uh, to 24. says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip uh, just to verse 24 there. This is crucial. No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve both God and money. See, friends, this is where we get it wrong. We, we feel like money is a tool to be managed. No, Jesus is saying money is a rival God to be rejected. It's a rival God to be rejected. So practically then, how do we do that? What does it actually look like? And I would, I would just suggest uh, three things. Being, firstly, being aware of the internal uh, war that we're in when it comes to money, in our own hearts. We've spoken about greed and fear. Let's talk about uh, the idolatry of our hearts and how we naturally gravitate towards stuff. You know, I, I'll, I'll admit this. I love, I love tech. I love tech. If I had the money, I'd own freaking every Apple product and every cool thing and a Tesla car. Like, I love that stuff. Uh, I think God has spared me, and I don't have the money for that, you know. But I know my our hearts pull towards these things, towards stuff, towards more. Look what Jesus says. We just read it, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what you really love, it's not about your doctrinal status. Look at your bank statement. That's what Jesus has just said uh, exposes the love of our hearts. It exposes what we're finding our security in. It, it exposes so much. It exposes so much of our hearts. I, I've been challenged by this. You want to know what we really love? Look at our financial statement. And so this is where, where Tim Keller said what I quoted earlier. Giving is not about getting the money out of our hands. It's about getting the idol out of our hearts. We're waging war against the internal uh, love for money over the love of God. We're waging war at it becoming something we serve rather than serving God. Just that God would open our eyes to see where the internal um, warfare of our life in this way needs to take shape. Like, God, help us recognize our idolatry. Help us recognize these things. The second thing I'd say is this. So we've spoken about internal. Now let's talk about a bit about the external uh, culture we live in, the external factors, the culture we live in and how it is shaping us. Uh, we live in a, a culture that is super consumeristic, materialistic, uh, lots of love of things and, and stuff. And that's, that's not a sinful thing in and of itself. Of course not. But here's the lie our culture wants us to believe. You are more, 
because we have more. And those who have less are less. How often do we judge success by material things? How often do we judge a, person, a person's worth by their net worth? That's not what Jesus did. He defines things differently. And so I think what he's encouraging us towards in the rest of Scripture is to take stock of how we may be confronted with or how we may confront this um, consumeristic culture that we live in. I think this is how Jesus uh, encourages us to combat it, is this simplicity. Living simply. That we are not living with unhealthy attachments to things and an unhealthy desire for more things and stuff. That Christians combat and wage war against uh, the culture of consumerism by living simply. Someone said, and just in this way, someone said uh, it was, there's two ways to be happy. One is to get everything you want. The other is to want less. I think that's the Christian direction. These things lose, our hearts lose their grip on it and let go of these things. And so we, we're waging war against the unhealthy attachments that grip our hearts by living simply. I'm not saying live like a monk, but you get what I'm saying. We can live simply without complexity that brings in and crowds out God and the world. The third thing, internal, external. Third thing, eternal. We know that money has incredible uh, power to do amazing things. You can uh, build kick-ass companies with lots of money. You can, you can do so many amazing things. And it's, it's the same uh, for, for the kingdom. It's the same for the kingdom. So as someone who, a pastor who used to live in Joburg, he used this phrase that I've never forgotten. He said this, that money is mission ammunition. It's mission ammunition. It's uh, uh, ammunition that God has given us that can help build and grow for the kingdom. So a question, maybe, friends, I just want to encourage us to think about uh, today, maybe for the rest of the week, is just simply this. How can we use the money God has entrusted to us to build for the kingdom? How can we see our money in terms of mission ammunition? What does that look like? As we wage war against our own hearts and against our budget, as we perhaps even relook at our budget and, and, and look at things again, what does uh, viewing our money as mission ammunition actually look like for you? And just pray, like, God, would you give us wisdom in those things? Just as we, as we close, I want to encourage us towards a few things. Uh, if you're feeling um, guilty, if you're feeling that this was a bit heavy uh, or a bit demanding or whatever it is, I think these are tough things, and we have to, uh, we have to own that. And I think the first step for us maybe this morning is just to confess and repent that when Jesus talks about money, it, it, it puts us in a, in a skeptic mode. We, we, we don't like our, uh, our comfort and our things being certain. And I think we just need to confess, like, all right, God, you're right. Like, money has got such a grip on my life. And I, I can't deny that. Like, it just, it does. God, I want more of you. And just to confess and repent that simply, um, God, we want to be yours. We don't want to be uh, ruled by fear and by greed and by idolatry. We want to be ruled by your purposes in, in our life. Secondly, that we would run towards God and ask him to give us content hearts. That we wouldn't find discontentment 
in what he's given us as if God has overlooked us or shortchanged us. God has not shortchanged you. He's decided exactly what we'll have and not have. And in his wisdom, he's uh, dealing with our hearts through it all. He decides. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us. Our God who can provide all things has provided for each of us differently. And we need to just, uh, just have hearts of gratitude and say, yes, God, you know what? I'm not going to live as if you shortchanged me. I'm going to live free from the attachment of stuff on my heart, uh, on my heart and uh, be content in you. You do all things well. And to force our hearts sometimes just to rest and rejoice in what God has for us in that season. And I think just above all, again, to come back to that verse, you cannot serve both God and money. Just to have a resolute allegiance to Jesus. Yes, we're going to get it wrong. Yes, we're not going to figure it out. Today's not going to be like one and done, I'm sorted for the rest of my life. Our hearts are prone to wonder. And so daily, and da- just con- like we have a constant rhythm of turning back to God and saying, God, I really want you to be first in my life. Would you give me eyes to see how, I'm, I don't need, how I need to live? Would you give, help me understand my own heart? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me deep, deep love for you? I really want you to be first in my life. I, I prioritize and I choose you, Jesus. Well, so we're going to sing now. We're going to pray uh, now for us, and then we're going to respond by singing two songs. And uh, yeah, let's just pray together as we prepare our hearts consider these things and just respond in worship. Father, you are the ultimate generous and sacrificial God. And you have spared um, nothing to bring us home. And as your children this morning, for those who believe in you, for those who have trusted in the gospel, you've given it all for us. And we want to say thank you. Thank you that there is There is nothing we can contribute. We know that. We know it's just a gift of grace. I want to thank you for being so, so um, generous towards us and the love that you have shown us. We just want to pray, God, that you would um, cleanse our hearts from the love of money, uh, help us uproot the idols where they live in us, help us choose you and be faithful towards you so that we would live more free, so that we would experience more peace, that comes from you, so that we would trust you, so that we would know you, so that we would worship you more. Thank you for the gift of grace. We want to worship you now, and we just want to say together, Jesus, you are enough. If all we had was you, we would be the richest people in the world. You are worth more than anything. Let's celebrate you.